It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Wikipolitiki, a show designed to bring right and left, front and center, to turn the funk into function, and leave the junk at the junction. At a time when so much political discourse is heat without light, Wikipolitiki shines the light of love and truth on the endarkened corridors of power, and then brings leading solutionaries into conversation to light the way forward together. Your host is Steve Behrman, author, comedian, and political and spiritual uncommentator. You might know Steve as his cosmic comic alter ego, Swami Beyond Ananda, or as the author of a more serious book with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, Spontaneous Evolution. If you recognize that crisis precipitates evolution, and judging by the current crises, the chances of precipitation are 100%, this show is for you. Welcome to the Evolutionary Upwising. Now, here is your host, Steve Behrman. Well, hi there. Welcome to Wikipolitiki, conversations for co-creation, where we shed light on the darkened corridors of power. We shine light ahead of us to where evolution is leading. The purpose of Wikipolitiki is to bring left and right, front and center, but face the music and dance together. In other words, to address real issues instead of defending ideological positions. Well, as the Swami has been telling us for years now, the body politic is one sick puppy suffering from irony deficiency, truth decay, electile dysfunction, and most recently, bipolar disorder. Well, as a result, what we used to call democracy is in the intensive care unit, and those who intensively care about its survival are finding themselves more and more marginalized. Well, fortunately, we still have that bastion of truth, academia. We're in the spirit of the free speech movement more than half a century ago. Academic freedom is alive and well as professors and students are freely and frankly discussing the most divisive issues of our time. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that must be happening in a parallel universe. I'm sorry. In this universe, a professor has literally written the book on propaganda, or at least wrote the preface to one, is on the verge of being fired for teaching about propaganda. His crime is pointing out the propaganda being promoted by the university itself. Fortunately, his colleagues at the university have bravely rallied around him and, oh, okay, that's also happening in a parallel universe. So I'm sorry. Oh, well, all's well that ends Orwell. Well, our guest today is Mark Crispin Miller. He's been fighting Nazism, that is, those... uh, courageously pointing out those uncomfortable truths that others choose to not see for decades. And right now he's embroiled in his own battle to keep his position at NYU after unmasking the propaganda about masking and being guilty of quote unquote hate speech, hate speech, which is now defined as saying anything that the power structure hates to hear. Well, Mark Crispin Miller earned his B.A. uh, from Northwestern University in 1971, his doctorate in English 
from Johns Hopkins in 77. He's currently still, as we speak, professor of media, culture, and communication at New York University. He's the author of several books, including The Bush Dyslexicon, Observations on a National Disorder, Cruel and Unusual, Bush-Cheney's New World Order, and Fooled Again, The Real Case for Electoral Reform. He is the editor of Forbidden, Bo- Forbidden Bookshelf, an ebook series that revives important works that are now out of print, most of which were variously killed at birth. He also wrote the introduction to the 2004 edition of Edward Bernays' book, Propaganda, and he's editor of News from the Underground. Welcome, Mark. Ah, great to be with you again, Steve. Good. Well, I have to say, I watched your interview, and I put this by, this link, by the way, on my Wikipolitics site so everybody can. I watched your interview with James Corbett on the Corbett Report about your ordeal with NYU, and we seem to have a full-blown case of American Nazism with elements of Nazi Germany, Stalin's Soviet Union, and the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Well, let's start with a little background. Tell us about your propaganda course and what, what's your approach to teaching this course? Yeah, well, that's what's gotten me into all this trouble. I've, I've been teaching a course on propaganda for maybe 20 years at NYU, um, at least twice a year, usually to undergraduates, now and then to master's students. And um, my approach to propaganda, and I make all this very clear the first uh, day, is not to treat it as a remote historical phenomenon uh, characteristic only or mainly of um, totalitarian systems, uh, but as something that's um, happening to us in real time. So we do discuss, you know, World War I, the rise of modern propaganda. We talk about the Nazis, we talk about uh, Stalin and so on. But this is all background to uh, prepare us to do something that I I tell the students is quite difficult for several reasons. And that is to try to look at the propaganda that's in the air or that was very recently in the air. And um, the hardest of all to deal with is propaganda that you agree with, see, I mean, everybody can spot the propaganda that they disapprove of. So if you ask any liberal to give you an example of propaganda, they'll say Fox News. And likewise, if you ask somebody on the right for an example of propaganda, they'll say the New York Times. And they're both right. But they're only half right. Because Mm. um, the hardest propaganda even to perceive as such is the propaganda that has pushed your buttons, you know, that has you nodding and uh, going along, thinking what they want you to think, preparing to do what they want you to do. That isn't propaganda, see, that's just information. So I tell the class, uh, you know, and again, I've been doing this for many years. I say, you have to be prepared to move outside your comfort zone. And this can be hard, it's hard emotionally, uh, and it, it can even end up being kind of hard socially because once you start to dig into certain propaganda narratives that you have, you know, long accepted as, as, as truth, as gospel, you, you may discover that you were 
you were wrong because the propaganda was, was deceptive, was false, or only half true. And if you're really interested in it, you will no doubt bring it up with roommates, friends, family, and, you know, you might get some pushback. Uh, and I said, you know, I, ex I expect some pushback in the class. One thing I want to say to you now that I'm going to say throughout the semester, and I do indeed say it repeatedly, is you'll hear me mention evidence for counter-narratives that will shock you, perhaps. Bear in mind this rule, do not believe a single word I say. Do not believe a word I say. I'm not an oracle. Uh, I'm not here to hammer any particular propaganda narratives into your heads. I'm here to set an example of a kind of rigorous, impartial, comprehensive research. Read all sides and do your level best to make up your own minds, all right? So, it being the first day, and in as much as we were meeting in this bizarre way, I said, you know, let's think of some things that are happening now, propaganda-wise. Look at how we're meeting. I mean, we're meeting by Zoom. You hate it. I hate it. Well, why are we doing this? Well, it's because of the COVID crisis. And, of course, the COVID crisis has been driven by a number of very powerful propaganda themes, which is not to say they're false. I mean, propaganda can be, can be accurate. It can be benign. You know, a public service ad to get you to wear your seatbelt when you drive or not to drink and drive. Those are propaganda drives, too. But um, when it comes to complex uh, matters of public health and science and, and medical treatment and so on, uh, propaganda will invariably tell you only part of the story. So we could study that. You know, I said we could even study only that this semester. Uh, or we could take something like the mask mandates. All right. I said, now, it may interest you to know that every randomized controlled study of masking in hospital settings, uh, all eight, I, I thought there were eight. It, it turns out that there were 10 at the time. I said, this is the most rigorous kind of scientific study. And all of the ones that have been conducted on masking in hospitals have found that masks are not effective at blocking the transmission of respiratory viruses. I would encourage you to read those. I would also encourage you to read all the more recent studies that have found otherwise. I mean, they're not randomized controlled studies, but, but there are a lot of them, and they're all over the place, and I encourage you to read those. Now, how does a layperson uh, assess the soundness of a scientific study? So I gave some advice as a professor of propaganda study, I said, first of all, you should look for scientific reviews because new studies often have those appended to them, sometimes as, as comments. And be very careful to take note of whatever university the study comes from and then research quickly to see if that university has any financial um, entanglements with Big Pharma or the Gates Foundation, because that could bias the study. It represents a conflict of interest. And then I concluded by saying, I want to be crystal clear that I am not telling you not to wear masks. All I'm doing is asking you to read all those studies 
and come to your own conclusions about it, right? Because I'm, I have this quaint notion, Steve, that my job is to teach students how to think independently. All right, that was the first day. Uh, following week, maybe a little longer after the first class, I got an email from a student asking to join the class late, as often happens. I said, sure, she joined. Uh, the first day she was there, we were actually talking about Edward Bernays' propaganda, and I can tell you what she said, uh, you know, later in the hour. Uh, mm -hmm. that, was the only time, that was the only time she spoke up. Um, the next day, uh, which was a Thursday, um, the mask thing came up again for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And another student, okay, I had recommended this, this article uh, by a Canadian physicist named Denis Rancourt, who mm -hmm. had compiled, he had compiled seven of the eight studies I was referring to. So I, I said, you know, it, a convenient way to get all seven of those is to read his paper. So this other student started uh, assailing Rancourt with all these accusations, which all of which I recognized. And I said, did you happen to read the column in Psychology Today attacking Rancourt? And he said, yes. I said, all right, um, did you read the studies? And he kind of hemmed and hawed. He had not read them. So, you know, as a professor of propaganda, I noted for his benefit that you can't just jump to Google when you read something that troubles you. I think he didn't like this notion that masks don't work. You can't jump to Google and do a search and, and then, you know, just absorb the first thing that comes up because Google Google's algorithms are are part of the propaganda for masks and lockdowns and all that. Indeed, Google owns two pharmaceutical companies. I mean, I made all these points, and we we, we argued about this. And this um, late arrival was just listening intently, I think angrily. She didn't say anything. And then the following Monday, I got a call from my department chair who asked me in a kind of accusatory tone if I had told my students not to wear masks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I said no. And I explained to him what I had said. I said, I did tell them to read these studies. And uh, he said, okay, well, I got to tell the uh, COVID, um, you know, thought police, whatever they're called. I said, all right. And then I think, I think it was he who told me that uh, a student was complaining about the class on Twitter. Okay. So what happened was that she, apparently she stormed out of the class and called NYU's bias hotline. Okay. Uh, which is a little odd because I, you know, well, anyway, that's what she did because this is by her own report on Twitter. She was incensed that they would take no steps against me. So she took to Twitter and demanded that I be fired for what she called an excessive amount of skepticism around healthcare professionals. Okay. 
And uh, she also was a stream of, you know, kind of venomous tweets. And um, several of them were screenshots of my website, News from Underground, at markcrispinmiller.com. You know, I use it to share little known and important news stories and data and observations from all over the place. And she just sort of flung them down there on Twitter as self-evidently false and said that it, all this stuff came from far right and conspiracy websites. Okay. None of which was true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I know we're going to have to take a break soon. That in itself was not that big a deal, although I'd never had that happen to me before. I mean, students often argue with me in class, which I welcome. Nobody's ever gone public like that. It's your First Amendment right. But what I I can't accept and could not accept is that my department chair had tweeted his thanks to her and said, we as a department have made this a priority and are discussing next steps. Okay, That, that took my breath away. This is my chair making a public statement on behalf of the department assuring this young woman that they were going to make my termination a priority okay so uh you know i called him i objected he insisted it didn't he didn't mean that i don't know what else he could mean i asked him to take it down and he wouldn't it's still up uh and that was only the beginning we're going to have to stop shortly, aren't we? Um, yeah, we'll take a, we'll take a break. Uh, obviously, this is uh, it sounds a lot like the Inquisition. Uh, we'll be back yeah. with Mark Christopher Miller talking about propaganda and impropaganda when we return <laughs> from this break. Ricky Connecting you with the best of the conscious minds in the world. Om Times Radio, IOM FM. Om Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Om Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. My name is Victor Furman. Some call me The Voice. I've always been fascinated with human nature, spirituality, science, and the crossroads at which they meet. Join me Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Ohm Times Radio, and we'll explore these topics and so much more on Destination Unlimited. Brought to you by CDC and the Ad Council. If you're feeling increasingly lonely right now, you're not alone. It's totally normal. Even though we may not be able to get together in person, connecting virtually with friends and family still gives you a chance to interact with people and may help raise your spirits. Join a virtual book club, set up group text chats, or online video coffee breaks with coworkers. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. Well, hi, Steve Bemmer. We're back with our guest, Mark Crispin Miller. We're talking about his very surreal deal at NYU. Uh, so, so now we have, you know, you, you've, you're looking at this, at this department chair going, this, 
this can't actually be real, and yet it is. So, so then what? It gets better. It gets much better. Uh, the, yeah. the next day, um, some of my students told me that the dean of my school and the doctor who dictates COVID rules at NYU, which are insanely draconian and have, you know, sparked a number of lawsuits, the two of these administrators had emailed the students without putting me on copy, uh, intimating that I had given them dangerous misinformation and sending a list of links from what they called an authoritative, uh, they, they called it authoritative public health guidance, which met the CDC, mm-hmm. uh, and basically told them to believe those studies, right? The opposite of what I do. And uh, ended by sternly warning them, you know, to remember that they have to wear their masks on campus as if I had told them not to. And as if I had not myself, you know, told them to read those same studies. This was all based on what they heard from my chair about the, the, the tweets but by this one young woman. I, I couldn't believe it. It was getting more surreal by the moment. And um, then I was pushed a day or two later by the chair to cancel the propaganda course for this term, this spring semester, on the grounds that um, it would be good for the department if I were to teach two sections of my film course instead of one and the propaganda course because he said the film course is very popular and the numbers will be good for us. And I said to him, well, I don't know how to square that with the fact that both classes have the same limit. They did both 24 students and I always let in more. So that's just a a pretext. But, you know, if, if you insist, Technically, I don't have the right um, to disobey, but I'm doing it under protest, okay? That's this semester. I, I am on medical leave now, so as it happens, I, didn't, I haven't taught anything. Um, I have Lyme disease, and, and this ordeal actually really made me demonstrably worse. So <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I um, thought about this, and I couldn't let it go. It was too outrageous. So I, um, what I did was, uh, with the help of some friends, I wrote uh, a petition that people can find on uh, change.org. All it it asks, the only ask in this petition is that NYU respect my academic freedom. But I did it in the name of all academics all journalists, all doctors, all scientists, activists, whistleblowers who had been gagged or punished for their dissidents, uh, certainly over the course of the year of COVID when it has reached crisis proportions, but really for decades. Um, so um, it went up. And it it got thousands of um, signatures, which was very gratifying, and some very eminent people signed it. And then a month after this, uh, almost to the day, after the student attacked me on on Twitter, uh, I got an email from my dean informing me that um, he was ordering a review of my conduct at the uh, insistence 
of my colleagues who had sent him a letter which was attached uh, demanding an expedited review on the grounds that while they believe in academic freedom, you know, and I've learned from this experience that when anybody <laughs> says that, you know, hit the deck, right? They believe in academic, they believe in academic freedom, but when a colleague's conduct is sufficiently heinous, uh, their academic freedom should be nullified. They, they were referring to uh, the faculty handbook. I think that would refer to like a sexual assault or something like that. But they were arguing tacitly that I should be fired. Uh, and they gave the following reasons. First of all, they said I discouraged students from wearing masks and that I intimidated students who were wearing masks, which was kind of odd because I, you know, teaching the class by Zoom, I don't remember anybody wearing a mask at home. Uh, that was just a, jump, a jumping off point. They then accused me of explicit hate speech, mounting attacks on students and others in our community, um, advocating for an unsafe learning environment, uh, pushing uh, non-evidence-based arguments in the class, and microaggressions and aggressions, okay? Now, you know, speaking of uh, non-evidence-based arguments, that letter is itself kind of a stellar example. I couldn't believe my eyes, Steve. I was staggered by this. I mean, if they had decided to craft a letter describing the opposite of the way I teach, they couldn't have done a better job. So, you know, here they had written this, nobody in the department had consulted me except my chair for a few minutes. The dean hadn't asked me for my side of the story. It was a done deal. They were gonna do this review. So I, I asked the provost what to do because she's a rational person. She told me to meet with the dean. So we had a Zoom meeting. He was very vague. He didn't seem to be in the loop. He's kind of new to the job. He told me something significant. He said he had uh, he had gone ahead and ordered the review because the university's lawyers told him to, which was, I think, telling. Mm -hmm. He said it would uh, go on until the end of the semester and that it would entail talking to people. You know, what people, I said. He said, faculty and students. I said, no, no faculty have seen me teach. He said, okay, students. I mean, he just really didn't seem to be with it, you know. So... Here it is, it was supposed to end in mid-December, and here it is uh, getting to the end of April. And as far as I know, it's still going on, although I now don't think there even is a review because nobody I know has said, I heard from the dean's office. Uh, at any rate, that's hanging over my head, you know, drone-like. Uh, but <laughs> at that time, you know, I went through the letter very carefully and I wrote a rebuttal. Point by point, I rebutted this whole pack of lies or delusions, and I asked for a retraction and an apology. Silence. And that's the NYU way, no, no response. I waited a week. I wrote again. I asked for them to retract their letter and apologize by November 20th. You know, radio silence. So I, I decided I can't just take this. This is... This is grotesque, you know, uh, not only because of what it's, you know, meant to do to me personally, but it's a sign of the times. 
and this is happening to so many people that, um, you know, those of us who are victimized by this have to fight back. So I decided to sue the signatories of the letter for libel. Mm -hmm. uh, there are tw 25 colleagues signed it out of like, I don't know, 33 or so. Six of them are junior faculty. And I don't necessarily think that they, you know, were free agents, so I'm not suing them. But I'm suing the 19 others. Uh, they know me. They have to know this is false and malicious. And uh, that's what's happening now. So to bring your audience up to date, uh, even as we speak, uh, at any moment, the judge could rule on my colleague's motion to dismiss, which they filed a couple months ago. That's up on my website, markcrispinmiller.com. And I really urge people to read the documents, especially the exhibits my colleagues submitted to prove that they were not lying about me. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's interesting because most of those exhibits are their own internal email exchanges about me over the last several years. I had no idea I was the object of such obsessive and malicious gossip. I didn't even think they knew what I was doing. I didn't think they cared. It's complete news to me, but it is very, very revealing. And some of them, I think, are self-incriminating. Um, anyway, they filed that. Uh, we filed a response, including my affidavit, which is another manifesto kind of thing. And then they replied. Okay, that's, that's how it works. And now the judge can rule. He can either grant their motion, in which case we will appeal he could deny their motion, in which case we will proceed, or he could ask for oral arguments by the lawyers, which is actually my favored of the three options, because I'd love to see that. So to this end, um, I, you know, I expect this to be a long and costly process. I have a GoFundMe page. I'm trying to raise $100,000. Donations will go directly into an escrow account that my lawyer manages. Uh, so I'm not going to profit in any way from this. Uh, I'm not interested in that. I'm doing this not just because they really have done me harm, including, you know, physical harm at this point, but much more importantly, because uh, I, I find the uh, lowering totalitarianism, you know, it, it's like a cloud descending over all of us to be extremely alarming. Uh, you know, your introduction, which I would like to frame, by the way, it was so brilliant. I'll uh, send it to you. <laughs> okay. 
it says, says it all about the academy, which should be you know, the one place where we're free to engage in um, vigorous, robust debate without fear of reprisals or censorship, right? It's the very opposite. It, 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 is, um, it is like the cultural revolution, you know? So um, that's why I'm doing this. And, uh, you know, I really don't know what's going to happen. But w whatever it is, I'm not going to back down. Uh, I, I think this is extremely important. And I, you know, may lose legally because NYU has a great deal of clout with the bench uh, in New York. You know, they have this very wealthy law school and a lot of connections. But I, 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 I think I will prevail and maybe have already in the court of public opinion. So I'm grateful to you for having me on to tell my story, which I, I think people need to know. Because without academic freedom and free speech, we have no democracy. Science is impossible. Real science is impossible. Science being open-ended. And... Um, uh, higher education becomes nothing but training for compliance. Okay. So if that's what NYU wants, uh, they should probably warn prospective customers, you know, that, that they're going to be pushing groupthink, received opinion and, uh, nothing that, uh, contradicts what Dr. Fauci and uh, Bill Gates have to say. Wow. You know, this is, uh, there's so much to unwrap here, but let's take one little piece because this is the piece that I find exceedingly vexing. And that is that uh, in addition to accusing uh, you of propagandizing your students, uh, they're also accusing you of, um, of hate speech and microaggressions. And I want to know where did that come from and how yeah. did they get away with that? How did they get away with that? What is that? Well, it's interesting, okay? If you look at the exhibits, the thing that most infuriated, I'd say about six of them, it's not all 19. I mean, a lot of them just signed, as they say in their affidavits, because everybody else signed and they wanted to show solidarity. So, you know, that's kind of mm -hmm. contemptible, but, you know, it, anyway. Uh, like the, the six or so who, who really had it in for me um, were most uh, irate, about a few things I posted online, not, not anything I discussed in class, about transgender ideology, okay? Ah, there, we were there. Right? Yeah. The, third, the third rail. You know, online, that is to say, in, in the few writings I've sent to my list and that have gone up on my website, and a couple of Facebook comments that were facetious, uh, you, which you, didn't you talk about irony deficiency? Irony deficiency, it's a big irony. Yeah, well, here there are two things about transgender ideology. I'm stressing that. Nothing to do with transgender person. The two things that I find, um, you know, unacceptable and I believe should be open for, you know, free debate. Well, one, the more serious of them, is uh, transgender medicine uh, practiced on children. You know, radical medical intervention in the sexual development of children. I find that uh, heinous, just as I find conversion therapy for gay people heinous, okay, except that transgender medicine is irreversible. 
highly profitable. And, you know, I think there's a lot to talk about there, but we're not allowed to talk about that. And um, somewhat less important, but still, you know, um, somewhat urgent is uh, allowing biological males to compete in girls' and women's athletic events. I think that's just wrong on feminist grounds. It's really unfair, uh, you know, the physical construction of the male body, you know, lung capacity, bone density, musculature is just very different from women's. That's why we have had girls and women's athletic programs. So, I, you know, I'm outspoken about that. They read this as... Uh, transphobia, they say in their letter that I'm guilty of uh, mockery and ridicule of transgender persons, which I've never engaged in, and they conflate that with my teaching, see? So it's through the slate of hand. Now, as it happens, I'll just mention this, we, we just, the department hired somebody to teach queer and transgender media theory. There were three candidates. I thought one of them was very good. The other two I thought were ludicrous. I voted for the one I thought was very good. And to my delight, this person uses the pronoun they. They decided yeah. to come. So when I learned that they were coming, I emailed them a welcoming message. I said, I'm glad you're coming. Your talk was superior. Uh, we, we chatted pleasantly about Northwestern, where, where they got their doctorate. I got my BA, and I recommended a book relevant to their dissertation, okay? That's how much I hate transgender people, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where the explicit hate speech charge comes from. Uh, the other one, what was the other one? Oh, microaggressions. Micro yeah. yeah, microaggressions. Uh, one student in my MA propaganda course, uh, I found this out from the exhibits, had written a long email complaining about that course. And I think she said I interrupted her. And she was giving her report. I believe that that's the basis for this accusation of microaggressions, you know. It's just one of these, you know, buzzwords from the social justice playbook. Um, I'm sorry if I interrupted a student, but um, I'm extremely kind and considerate to them as uh, I, I can prove this, by the way, not to sound offensive. But I asked, as I told the dean I would, I asked former and current students to write letters on my behalf to his office, and they've gotten well over 50, and that they comprise the one gratifying thing in this whole ordeal. They're just powerful, moving, poignant, uh, grateful uh, attestations you know, to the, the effect my classes have had on them life-changing, they call it, you know, and they, they learned how to think in new ways. And unlike a lot of my colleagues at NYU, uh, I don't force any opinions on anybody, whereas others on the faculty do actually impose a kind of, you know, a social justice groupthink on students who feel intimidated uh, out of saying what they really think, right? I don't do that ever. So, um, you know, I'm fully confident that if, the, if this court is, is fair, uh, you know, I'll prevail in this round, um, and I'll just keep going if I don't. That's all. we got to take a break. Uh, we'll be back with Mark Crispin Miller and talk more about how we got into this situation. This is Steve Fairman on Wikipolitics. Back very soon. Free your mind with Ohm Times Radio.
IOM FM. Ascending Hearts is no ordinary dating site, but a spiritual dating site with a purpose to link you with your soulmate. We engineer the serendipity so you can trust that you will attune with someone that has the same matching vibration as you. Ascending Hearts, the conscious dating site for the spiritually aware. Try Ascending Hearts for free. AscendingHearts.com More than 24 million Americans have an autoimmune disorder, and that number continues to grow. I'm Sharon Saylor, and I'm one of those 24 million. To put that number in perspective, cancer affects about 9 million and heart disease up to 22 million. That's why I've brought together top experts and those thriving regardless of their diagnosis to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information. Join me, Sharon Saylor, Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, for the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio to find out how to live your life uninterrupted. The United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world At the Equal Justice Initiative, we believe mass incarceration has to end. There is this presumption of dangerousness and guilt that gets assigned to black and brown people. We have to confront our history of racial injustice and commit to a new era of truth. There's something better waiting for us, something that feels more like freedom. Truth can inspire change. Please learn more at EJI.org. Well, we're back. We're back with Mark Kristen Miller. We're talking about NYU. We could be talking about just about any university. You know, I've been out of touch. I haven't really taught on campus. I, I did a, a program uh, at, a, at a college in Florida a few years ago, and the one person in the class who was, seemed to not be just totally zombified in their, in their uh, personal device, you know, she was really, really very sharp and so on. And then she said, I don't feel I can express my true opinions at this school. And that's what I think. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's probably conservative. Yeah, but she was so aware. And, you know, this is this what you call the social justice group thing. My God, if I were on campus, I'd be, they'd, if they still had tar and feathers, I'd be, that would be me. I, you know, as the, yeah. the Swami particularly, I mean, he was at a show and he was asked recently, you know, what's your, what's your take on gender fluidity? And the strong says, well, if the fluid comes out the front, that's one gender comes out the bottom. That's the other gender. And, you know, <laughs> you see what would happen to me. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you, know, look, yeah. you know, we look at, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rowling, uh, and all of these other people and Dr. Susan, this is so much like the cultural revolution in China, which is really yeah. scary, but unfortunately people have no memory and no understanding of this. So let's, let's go back a little bit, you know, because, again, I think we've, we've got the foreground conversation. This is what you're up against there. And right now mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's focused on COVID. That's the, you know, that's the latest, uh, you know, propaganda piece. But the uh, social justice group thing, um, how did this come about? How did this, you've been on campus for years. Uh, yeah. I know that, I, you know, how did this, come to take hold in such a totalitarian way? Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I, 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 I want to make clear that, you know, even though it is the campus left that's driving this, it, it really is not the case that the, the left is, is, any, is in any kind of real powerful position. I mean, they do hold sway over universities. There's no question about that. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've looked into this long since because I'm fascinated by it. And, and it is, 
well worth noting that um, the uh, CIA uh, was really sort of involved in the genesis of this movement as part of their, you know, larger program of depoliticizing the left, right? So they were all, and also dividing the left. So in the late 60s, the Ford Foundation was actually funding certain black separatists. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Who would then go into public city school systems and, you know, create uh, ill will and division between, you know, like Jewish teachers and black teachers and black parents. And starting around 1970, the Ford and Rockefeller Foundations, which, which are both, you know, well-known, long-standing pass-throughs for CIA funding, started to um, favor research projects uh, emphasizing race and gender, okay? You think about it, you know, that's an excellent way to balkanize the left, tribalize it by discouraging or not funding work you know, in political economy that deals with class, right? That kind of thing. I mean, I, I hope people have seen J uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which uh, was one of the Oscar nominees, and the uh, actor who played Fred Hampton uh, got an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It is a terrific movie, really excellent. I don't often say that anymore, but it captures perfectly the true radicalism of Hampton's appeal. And I remember this, I was a college student I went to see him speak in downtown Chicago, you know, maybe six weeks before they uh, murdered him. And he was reaching out to whites. He was reaching out to Hispanics. That's what made him dangerous. Um, so that, you know, that, that helps explain the, the, the turn that, you know, academic leftism started to take back then. And, you know, I, I think universities with their corporate sponsors and their plutocratic boards of trustees probably like this fine, you know, because it, it has people fighting with each other, men against women, gays against straights, you know, feminists against transgender people, black against white. And I think that we're now seeing the, the evil fruit of all that, you know, at a moment when bizarrely um, being a radical on campus means demanding segregation in dorms, you know, blacks only dining halls. Uh, treating white people as sort of inherently evil, whiteness as equivalent to white supremacy. I mean, this is racialist pseudo-politics that really has more in common with Hitler, certainly than with Marx or, or you know, any other, uh, you know, a advocate of 
genuine a revolutionary change. Uh, but I do think its roots, this is a kind of a strained metaphor, but it, 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 its, its roots are way, way high above us, you know. So he watched Tucker Carlson, you know, whom I very much admire now. He's really a stalwart defender of free speech. You know, invariably says it's the left that's driving this kind of thing. The left, the left, the left, the left. Well, it, it, it is a version of the left, but it, it suits, you know, the powers that be above and atop academia just fine. And in my own case, my own case illustrates this perfectly because NYU is completely um, devoted to and heavily invested in uh, the medical industrial complex and the vaccine juggernaut in particular. I mean, they are really, really militant about this. And, um, you know, they're rolling out vaccine mandates. Uh, they also, you know, like I think uh, Biden's COVID advisor is a colleague here on this faculty. You walk around campus, there were enormous glossy posters filling these ground floor windows with close-ups of, you know, frontline healthcare workers with masks on, mask up today, so we'll have a safer tomorrow. I mean, it's propaganda land, you know? And here I've been, you know, for the last year, using my, my uh, listserv and my website just to spread, just to share, you know, dissident information. Because the propaganda themes that have been clustered together to push this COVID nightmare on us are all completely false. You know, there's no truth to them. Understand, Steve, this is not the way I talk in class, okay? I mean, I, I, I hold my fire in class. I want them to make discoveries for themselves. They can argue with me. They can disagree with me. Sometimes they even change my mind on certain things. But I'm telling you that there's a certain urgency, I believe, to trying to get some truth out there in a, in a system whose media is controlled by a handful of multinationals that are inextricable from Big Pharma and the Gates Foundation, which has spent $250 million on its strategic media partners, which include the New York Times, which include the BBC, you know, uh, which include the Atlantic, which include the Guardian. Uh, so, you know, we've got a kind of de facto totalitarian system that's in its way as unitary and as univocal in its appeals as Goebbels' press was, you know, but it's happened gradually and incrementally. And the most important point here is that these social justice warriors who think they're so radical, who think they stand with outcasts and so on, are working uh, to promote the interests of the most ruthless corporate and state predators, I think, in American history. You know, it's an interesting irony. They, they consider themselves champions of people of color. So they support lockdown, okay? I'd like somebody to explain how they can get away with that, you know? They support mask mandates, okay? That means black people are supposed to wear masks in the heat all day when they have excessively high rates of asthma, diabetes, and uh, hypertension, okay? How is that good for black people? How is, it, how is this vaccine drive good for black people? I mean, I'm just digging into this now. A significant number of black people have died uh, either shortly or not long after getting their COVID shots. You know, this is something the press mentions in a whisper, if at all. But I don't, I don't see how all this is, is helping black people 
and they cast themselves as, as these really virtuous, uh, you know, social justice warriors. So, you know, there, there's something deeply wrong with this picture. You know what I mean? Well, you know, interestingly, and you know this, but my listeners may not, <clears throat> uh, that the Black Lives Matters movement got a huge in, infusion of funding from the Ford Foundation. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you you know about that, right? Oh, absolutely. No, no, you, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, they got $100 million from the Ford Foundation. And, and you know, their leadership is is very tight with, and and some of them have gone to work for, the World Economic Forum, okay? What does that tell us? You know, after the George Floyd incident, we had um, Mitt Romney marching in the street saying Black Lives Matter. We had Jeff Bezos saying Black Lives Matter. We had Jamie Dimon saying Black Lives Matter. You know, we have these, um, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates, uh, all claiming that black lives matter. Well, you know, their business practices don't really betray any such concern for black lives. A lot of black people work in Jeff Bezos's uh, warehouses, for example, Amazon's warehouses. Uh, the speed ups there have workers calling 9-11 sometimes on a daily basis as workers collapse from the strain. They have to wear diapers at work. Well, what about those black lives, you know? See, whenever you have plutocrats that wealthy, um, claiming that black lives matter and throwing their lot in with these um, BLM people, you just got to ask yourself what's going on, you know? I mean, we should be sophisticated enough by now politically to know that there's something wrong with that picture, you know? But if you criticize BLM, just as if you criticize the transgender movement, which, by the way, is uh, funded by billionaires like Warren Buffett and George Soros, um, you know, you're, you're, you're called uh, hateful. You're accused of hate speech. It, it's kind of like, well, it's exactly like people who are critical of Zionism being called anti-Semites, which has also happened to me. Um, yeah. So this is a very, you know, uh, cheap tactic uh, to shut people up. And, and it's one of several that my colleagues used in their letter uh, against me. Let me ask you about that, because it, there's one, I think we've got about five minutes left. And the one vexing thing that I, I want to address is how is it that so many people that I know um, who I, you know, who've been, you know, we're, we've been progressives for years and years and years have bought this narrative hook, line and sinker. And, um, and, and your faculty members there, your fellow faculty members, is it cowardice? Uh, is it Nazism where they choose to not see what's too mm. uncomfortable to look at? What is it that has kept uh, the progressives as uh, liberals, progressives, what do you want to call them, as bl- deaf, dumb, and blind as they are right now? Well, I think it comes down to the, their membership in, in, in the professional class. You know, they are basically careerists, you know, most academics are careerists. And therefore, they're really not likely to test their tenure by, you know, wandering off the reservation. Do you see what I mean? I mean, tenure yeah. was instituted uh, after World War One precisely to protect uh, academics who might have been 
you know, uh, vilified and their jobs threatened in the Red Scare back then. Well, that's why we have tenure. You know, it isn't as a, as a reward to these people for their brilliance, you know, in writing peer-reviewed articles and speaking at conferences. I think they think that it is, but it's not. Tenure is there for those who go against the grain, you know. Um, they don't do that. They don't go against the grain. And at some level, I think they know that. But they want very much to be radical. They want very much to be virtuous and righteous. So they, um, you know, they're going after me. Uh, you know, and there's, it's kind of a complex of motives, uh, many of them unconscious. But um, they, they are indeed blind to what they're doing. And that's, that's so clear from their exhibits, you know, that they would, I wish we had another hour, I would take people through those exhibits. Because it is, it is astonishing how um, self-revelatory they are. And that the fact that they can't see that, that they would actually submit those things uh, is, is staggering. But, but you know, they, they live in a bubble. They read the New York Times. They listen to NPR. They believe everything they've heard from those media, right? They don't know what propaganda is. They hate Trump, right? They mm -hmm. hate Trump. So if you, if you contradict Dr. Fauci, you must support Trump. That's the binary thinking that prevails among people who supposedly have been trained uh, you know, to think in, in so subtle and complex ways, but they believe Russiagate, you know, they believe everything that the, that machine churns out and that there is no diversity in a department that is obsessed with diversity. Yeah, For them, sure. diversity is a matter, it's a matter of ethnicity, skin color, sexual preference, gender, but intellectually it is a monolith, you know, and, and, and what's happened to me proves it. I mean, I haven't even heard from any of the colleagues who did not sign the letter. I've heard from no one here. So it's very, very strange, um, you know. I want to put a highlight under that one point, that diversity is purely visual. Um, right. It's, you know, and there's no diversity of opinion. And, and there's, right. there's such a, a lack of um, willingness to look at that uh, in, in, on the part of people that... that uh, that I know and respect otherwise. It's, it, it, yeah, there's, a, there's a condition uh, where, you know, if, if, you're, uh, if you have any questions about vax, uh, vaccinations, then you're a Trump supporter. And I call this Trump and lumpen. You know, you get lumped <laughs> with Trump. Trump and lumpen, it's a, it's a disease here. You get, if, no, it's true. If, if you agree in any way with anything that Tucker Carlson might have said, even when he was interviewing Naomi Wolf, uh, right. Trump and London. Oh, we got to go Lumpen. right I now, but we're going <laughs> to, you can use it. We're going to have you back. Mark Crispin Miller, uh, speaking, uh, speaking truth, hopefully to, uh, open ears ready to go. Oh my God. What happened? This is Steve Fairman on WikiPolitiki. Mark, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing and, uh, wishing you happy recovery and, uh, may the farce be with you. Thank you. Okay, thanks. This is Steve Fairman, Wiki Politics, and we're back again next week.